Ephesians 6, verse 19. Pray for me, the Apostle Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Over my years of being a Christian, as I have fellowshiped with others who claim the same blessed salvation that I have in Christ, I've observed that it seems to be a common trait among us to always want to be able to fully explain everything that we encounter within these scriptures. Who God is and the meanings and the purposes behind all that we encounter in His words. And in many ways, that is the very best thing that we could do. But with just a first glance at this request from the Apostle Paul, we can see that his purpose and his desire towards the unsaved is not to explain this mystery of the gospel to them, but rather to more simply proclaim it. And may I say there is a real difference between those two pursuits, explaining the mystery of the gospel and the proclaiming of it. Why do I find need to draw this distinction? It's because I agree with a conclusion reached by Oswald Chambers regarding such behaviors of men. And that is that man often believes that if he can explain a matter, then he can begin to have and to exercise some measure of control over it. And that's especially true as it regards these truths of Scripture. Well-meaning men spend their lives seeking to explain God so that they can put him and his truths into a neatly devised set of doctrines, then attach a name to those doctrines, and then profess those doctrines. Proof of that is found in all these many denominations that have formed within our Christian religion. Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, and on and on. And again, yes, God really does want you and me to know him, and ever so intimately so as beloved sons should know and and love their father. But only for that reason. Only for that reason. For the reason of love. But as for all of those other motives and pursuits of man, I have to believe that God desires none of that from us. Because too often those pursuits lead us to try to make Presbyterians or Baptists or Methodists out of the people that we minister to, rather than simply leading them to salvation. And that's what the Apostle Paul is focused in on in his message today. And that's why we find that everything that God is and everything he does still really does remain cloaked in a mystery. Unexplainable, unfathomable truths known only to God himself, with only an occasional revelation being shared within the minds of men and then only when it will accomplish God's purposes. And that's especially so as it regards this mystery that he speaks of, of the gospel. This mystery of the gospel. Yes, we can and we do know a great deal about this gospel. These scriptures are filled with good news. But still, for the most part, these words of this gospel, they remain a mystery to us. And it's especially a mystery to those who do not yet know the Lord. And that was the plea being expressed here by the Apostle Paul in asking for prayer that he would be able to proclaim the gospel rightly to this unbelieving Gentile world because it was to them that he had been called as a special missionary. 
And yes, there were a few Jews that Paul would minister to there in that Gentile and Roman world. Some of them did know about the coming Messiah and about the gospel that the Messiah would bring. And some of those Jews received Paul's message readily. But the vast number of people that Paul was seeking to reach with the gospel had never heard of such things before. And it's not because they were ignorant. Many of those people were highly educated. But it rather had to do with the fact that these truths were not of an intellectual nature. They were of a deeply spiritual nature, requiring a whole other form of learning and understanding. And that was foreign to the Greek and the Roman mind. But therein lies the heart of this mystery that he's speaking about here. And it's the same mystery that we encounter today. Yes, the gospel can be proclaimed by men, such as Paul and by you and me, but it can only rightly be explained to the minds of men by God himself through his Holy Spirit. Consider why that's so, the roadblocks that exist within the minds of men, both, again, in Paul's day and also in our day. This gospel, the good news of Jesus, is good news. And it's a provision that's made for us by Christ dying on the cross and paying the debt for our sins. But folks, that really doesn't make good sense to most reasonable thinking people. Unbelievers who do not have the Holy Spirit, that blood-soaked cross, that disfigured body there on that cross, that man, obviously a man, he's bleeding, he's dying. It just does not fit the image of what people of today or people of Paul's day would suppose God to look like. And so, as we read in the scripture, this gospel is foolishness, foolishness to those who do not believe. And also, as we consider the hearts of men, those that for whom Christ hung there on that cross, we're not just innocent victims who happen to get caught in this war of ideological factions that's taking place in the heavens. We're not victims. We are instead desperately wicked sinners living daily within corrupt lifestyles. And for the most part, truly enjoying our sinful behavior. When we think of all of those people that celebrated in the street on Friday about the Supreme Court ruling, they were truly enjoying themselves in their sinful behavior. We might make the excuse, well, I was born into that condition. But listen, regardless of how we got where we are, if a person is left unchanged, they will surely eventually die and then be lost forever in that sea of eternal burning hell. And it's real, very real. For the most part, the daily existence, especially, again, of unbelievers, is a rather simple one. Eyes are blinded to real truth. Yes, knowing that there are consequences for bad behavior, especially if they get caught in the things they're doing, cheating, lying, stealing. But for the most part, blindly unaware that other consequences actually await beyond when they breathe their last breath in this life. Yes, they've heard others talk about hell and about miseries of hell and all of those things. But the unbelieving mind is simply incapable of truly fathoming the horrors of what just lies ahead of them. And because of that, 
they'll just brush caution aside. I can recall coming out of my own lips, making jokes about hell and about its fury, saying foolish things like, well, that's where all my friends are, so, you know, I'll be okay. Foolishness, beyond foolishness. And so the unbelieving world, and unfortunately a whole bunch of us believers, we walk in a blinded condition as to what God is desiring of us. But therein is where the mystery of the gospel begins to do its work. This mystery that he spoke about. Our Methodist friends call it prevenient grace. Other Bible scholars have named it something else, but regardless of the name given to it, it is God's Holy Spirit beginning His work within the hearts of men, tilling that ground, making ready the souls of men to receive that blessed mystery of the gospel that Paul is speaking about giving here and proclaiming, that gospel that you and I need to proclaim daily. As we observe the responses of men, we can see that a strange change begins within their souls. They know something is wrong about their behavior, but they can't quite figure out what that wrongness might be. I relate it to the words given in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. There we're told, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. As part of God's blessed grace, God's Holy Spirit suddenly brings to our mind that there is more beyond the breaths that we breathe in this life. That once we breathe our last breath here, we enter into this time beyond time, eternity. And we begin to wonder, if that really be so, then what will take place during that time beyond time? And then someone quotes the words of Hebrews 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto man a time to die, and after that comes the judgment. With those words, we realize that the next thing after our last breath is a judgment, a time of accountability for all the things and the behaviors that we've done while in this life. But too often, too often that's when our common sense gets in the way and starts to tell us things to do to avoid all those penalties that will be ours in that judgment. And the most common response is that we rationalize that we must start trying to change our ways and become good people. We think that if we will just do that, then God will possibly relent and not require of us the suffering and the penalties that we deserve for all of our behavior. And then also perhaps the good that we do will offset the bad that we did. And as we observe all the many false counselors and false preachers out there today, that's exactly the false gospel that they give. And we can understand it over there in those pagan religions, Islam and Buddhism and Hindu. But unfortunately, that is also some of the same false gospel that comes out from our would-be evangelical churches and preachers. And we don't think that is true. All we have to do is tune to any of those Christian programs on our Christian television stations. There is so much of that false teaching taking place throughout most of that program. But even closer to home, all we need to do is ask our neighbor two simple questions. The two that I have spoken to you all about often in the past. The first one being, 
as you talk to your neighbor, if you say to them, if you were to die today, are you absolutely sure that you would be with Christ in heaven? And too often their answer is a timid, I hope so. And then as you ask them the next question, if you were to stand before God today with God asking you why you should be allowed to come into His kingdom, their answers too often are seasoned with the same false gospel that I spoke about a moment ago, this some form of works. Yes, they might begin with, well, I believe in Jesus, but then they also quickly add, and also go to church. And I try to treat people the way I think that I would like to be treated. Words like that. Words that reveal that they have no real understanding of this mystery of the gospel. This mystery that says salvation comes only through the shed blood of Christ and that alone. Nothing added. And yes, after salvation, all those good things really do need to be done. But they have nothing at all to do with this gospel. Nothing whatsoever. This mystery of this gospel will forever be a mystery, even to the most learned and most devout of believers. And so I've asked myself, what is wrong with accepting that some things forever remain a mystery? Why not love the fact that this gospel will always have some mystery within it, with God only revealing certain portions of the mystery for us as He deems good to do? I must tell you that I treasure the mysteries of God, all of them. And why would that be so? It's because it helps me to trust His wisdom and not my own that I have gained from having studied these thoroughly and then come up with some doctrine that I can explain. Understanding the doctrines that are contained in these words is a good thing. But trusting in the Lord and allowing portions of this to remain a mystery is better. Why is that so? It's because God is a loving Father and He knows how much of His truth that I, that you, are able to bear at any given moment within our growth. He knows that if we have knowledge, but not the wisdom, not the discernment that it takes to properly deal with that knowledge, then we will often be wounded by it. If we take a verse and we run off in a corner with it and decide to base most all of what we do thereafter on that one verse, we'll find that we're in deep trouble before long. But what we can also do with that verse is we can go and unknowingly hurt others with it because we are sharing knowledge without wisdom. So then, as it was with the Apostle Paul, and it should be with you and me, you and I need to simply have as our purpose to proclaim this gospel with anyone who will listen and to proclaim it loudly and boldly as he prayed for here. But as with the Apostle Paul, we are especially to share this mystery of the gospel with unbelievers. Now, that does sound like stating the obvious, and it is. But understand that that is the real solid purpose of these instructions that we're receiving in our scriptures for today. The hearts and the souls of unbelievers are not yet really prepared to hear many of those other deeper things that we might want to say to them about God. For the lack of a better analogy, it would be like trying to teach perhaps algebra to a first grader. Their hearts and their minds are not prepared to receive what they hear. That was so with the unbelievers in Jesus' day. And so John the Baptist, before 
Jesus came along to give them all of the deeper teachings of His truth, they first needed a proper foundation to be built within their souls. And so John the Baptist came and he prepared the way by declaring simply to the people that they were sinners in need of a Savior and that they needed to turn from their wicked ways to repentance. If that proper foundation is not laid, it'll be like that house that was built upon the sand. When the storms come, it will fall. That's why these instructions of that we give to so many people, and especially our own children, they have no lasting life to them. Looking back on my own Christian life, I find that I have been guilty of unknowingly giving people false gospel on many occasions. That false gospel that I spoke about a moment ago. Too often I gave them my advice that while they were there all caught up in those throes of sinful behavior, that they ought to simply be good, be kind, be faithful to your wife, your husband, and on and on. And yes, those things were good things to say, but I did not put them in the right order. I had not first given them the foundation of the gospel. It was only then that they should have heard the words from me, be good, be kind, be faithful to your spouse. Simply put, an unbeliever is incapable of knowing and doing really good things if they do not first have the foundation of salvation within their souls. And so that's why the gospel must be proclaimed first before any explaining that you might try to attempt takes place. About time for me to close. I'd like to just revisit a couple of these tenets before we close. Paul said in these words, pray for me, pray for him, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now here God is revealing a special part of His plan for the salvation of men's souls. And that is that we must join together in prayer. I prayed earlier, Second Chronicles 7.14. We need to join together as individuals and throughout this nation in prayer. God's Holy Spirit will enable people who are giving the gospel to speak special and more powerful words, words that will convert the souls of unbelievers if we'll pray. Does that mean that if we don't pray that God will not act? No. It simply means what it says, that our part is to pray, and fervently so. Pray for me, he said, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, these words intimate that God's Spirit will make the words of Paul's mouth more clearly understood and effectual, that he'll not be timid or afraid, that even if he does fumble in his presentation of the gospel, that God will fix those words to make them effectual. And that's what he's saying to you and me. The mystery that he speaks about here, one of the greater elements of that mystery, is that for reasons not only to God, he chose at a point in time, to invite through salvation all the rest of the world to be a part of his special family, all of those outside of the family that he started there in Israel. That family that he shared only with the Jews is now open to you and me and all the other non-Jews of the earth that he has by grace invited us to repent of our sins and to receive Christ as our Savior and Lord and to become part of His family. That's 
uh, still a mystery to me why God started out with the Jews and the Jews alone, but yet now has invited all of us. But he said so, and all we have to do, it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. He wants to give this free gift to you and me. And again, we don't have to understand the mystery of why God would save and cleanse a wretch like you and me, but just that He will. And though you may be looking into the face of someone who really is rejecting what you have to say, He still wants you to give that gospel. He doesn't need your clever advice. He needs you to give His gospel because it is only the gospel that has the power to save. And I'll close with those words. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray.